Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Brink. meant to be like, The Brink! Because I was so solemn. Like, it's meant to be like, hello, everyone, and welcome to... <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> the Brink! Yeah. The Brink. The Brink. The Barney. Oh, yeah, we haven't seen that in a while. And the money. Um... Welcome. I want to hit the fun. We've done that this week already, have we not? Um, anyway, we are back, clearly. Only hippopotamus will do. I, th- I think you need to... Um, Don't want something rhinoceros. I think... I only want hippopotamus. How how do you never want to do forget the lyrics that you just want to burst into? I just don't understand your logic. Because it's too difficult. Like I can't think on my feet. Can't you just like make up lyrics about hippopotamuses? No. What's that other dumb one about grandma getting run over by Santa or something? Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Why? Walking from walking home from our house Christmas. Eve. I don't understand the logic of these songs. Like they're sick. They're sick human beings, Mallory Foster. They're sick. Um want a hippopotamus for You've got one. You sleep with him every night. Uh, <laughs> mini hippopotamus. I've lost weight. Um, I was going to ask you um, about... I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. I was going to ask you about Survivor. Only hippopotamus will do. Yes. Because you kind of... So you watched it last night before I did. I did. And you were basically all like, oh, it wasn't that bad. But I digress. I think it was the worst episode I have ever seen of Survivor. Now, for those who don't know what we're talking about, it was a double episode. It had a lot of controversy because there were, I guess, there was one contestant who basically claimed another man was inappropriately touching her. And when I say inappropriately touching her, like as in, you know, he was brushing her hair and kind of like putting his hand on her shoulder, unwanted touching i didn't mean he was like grabbing a bum but i'm I'm not trying to condone it in any way i'm just saying that and then a lot of it then revolved around there were two other players who kind of took that on board and tried to use it to claim that it had happened to them and they use it as strategy and it all backfired so the whole episode kind of revolved around that it was it was very uncomfortable viewing my point is around that is i haven't really had a chance to talk to you too much about it and I'm just, I'm very interested about your thoughts. I'm not here to put you on the spot or get you to think one way or the other, but uh, I don't know. What 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 did you think about it when you watched it? I don't really understand why you think it was such a bad episode. That being said, I also don't understand. So you came, you walked in um, when you had a pause in your recording, right in the part of the first episode where the screen goes black and basically says producers sat everyone down and talked to them about how sex is bad um (laughs) (laughs) this wasn't your mum talking (laughs) um and you're like oh like something big happens blah 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 and it's like oh like don't look at the screen now like it'll spoil it for you but like on one hand yes i guess it is a big thing but on another, after watching both those episodes, I do not feel like this was a interesting two episodes. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, oh, like, it was just another two episodes of Survivor. Like, it didn't, it didn't feel as big as it has been made out to be after the fact. I think, 
I can definitely see why you would think that, but I would maybe put that into context in that you, and I'm not trying to sound mean with the way I said this, you haven't watched Survivor for as long as I have and a lot of people have who are saying about this episode. And I think the issue that I personally find is that this collected with the last couple of episodes have just kind of turned this show into more of an agenda-seeking narrative where it's this isn't the show that we know. And I also have a big problem with it being very hypocritical. I mean, brief survivor history lesson, you know, two very infamous moments in the show's history have happened similar, and I would say worse than what we had on this episode. Uh, in one season, there was a um, a male and a female contestant who were kind of, you know, hanging out and just having a good time. And then one night, um, which was never aired, you didn't see this, unlike last night where they kind of showed you behind-the-scenes stuff, um, she alleged that he, sleeping next to her, like, grinded up against her and, like, nibbled her ear. So there was, like, a big confrontation between the two. He denied it and all this sort of stuff. And nothing. That, that was just aired. People at the time were pretty much on the guy's side and was like, this woman's just crazy. She got promptly got voted out. Nothing was said about it. It was like, boom, she's just crazy. Let's move on. And then uh, a few seasons later, there was another incident where uh, Richard Hatch, very first winner of Survivor, uh, obviously always naked, was doing a challenge naked, and Sue Hawk, who was on his first season as well, um, they had to run past each other, and he basically rubbed himself against her fully naked. Uh, it disturbed her to the point enough where she quit. And, uh, again, not a big deal made out of it. A lot of people thought Sue was crazy, uh, maybe not to the extent the way they kind of did with Gandia. But, um, yeah, and, and, like, that's where I think it's a bit hypocritical that you're going out of your way to portray this in such a light, yet you didn't do it back then. And I understand times are different now, but at the same time, they shouldn't be that way when you've got this happening. If this is what you're going to be type of show... It's just so heavy-handed on Survivor basically trying to be on a trend right now. And as much as I love Jeff Probst and as much as I love a lot of how he handled the situation last night, I also can see him, as a producer of this show, deliberately turning this on a certain way because he knows it's going to have the way this is. So, yeah. It it was very uncomfortable viewing. I just don't care much about... I just don't care enough about Survivor to be able to analyze this at all. Yeah, I understand that. Second, I don't, like, I understand that the producers are very involved and can edit things to look certain ways and all this kind of stuff, but I don't think this was avoidable in any way after watching like, maybe the last couple episodes, there's been bits and pieces that didn't need to become as big as they did and have been... Yeah. But in, like, just separating these two episodes that were back-to-back all by themselves, I... They had to address the situation. Like, there was nothing else... It was obviously something that was going on and that had become big enough in camp and enough people were involved, they had to address it. Like, it wasn't... And even if from some of the girls' perspective, they were spinning it towards their strategy, like, you still have to address the situation in case, what if it's not actually strategy? What if it is actually happening? And I think that my problem 
with this entire thing is that these girls have written off the situation as not as bad as it seems, not as bad as we made it out to be in all this, and that's the problem that we already have in society. And can I talk about who got voted out? Yeah, this yeah, isn't. This a, doesn't matter at all. This is okay. the brink, not all. Yeah, go for no, it. I don't know. Um, and I think that Jamal put it really well in his little speech. Um, that you, if you dismiss it, and it is real, then that's one problem. But the problem that we have in society is that no one believes the woman to start with, and these girls are creating that situation even more so by playing it as strategy instead of as something that's really happening and you you can see kelly getting so upset about it and i think that that's where my problem lies because obviously you know that at least one of these girls actually does have a problem with it and it just yeah that's what bothers me i i agree with you completely there's no way they could have avoided this but i just that's not definitely a complaint I like have i have. don't care past that point to like yeah. I, I definitely have no complaint about because again I agree with you there's no way they could have avoided what happened it's like back to what I was saying about with Sue she quit the game because of what happened they had to show it I completely agree with you about exactly what you said I'm going to play devil's advocate here just to kind of put the other perspective to it too which I think is important just on a, on a level where we we saw Dan that was a character involved like whenever Kelly was talking about like look he would grab my hair or like he would brush it you know rub my shoulder and stuff like that they would show that to show that it obviously happened right and again like as you said if if any person male or female feels uncomfortable in a situation like that they absolutely should report it and they should say they're uncomfortable Kelly did the right thing because she was chat- saying that she's uncomfortable at this the producer, the very first time in Survivor history we ever heard a conversation from a producer talking to her about that, mm. um, fine. And then kind of a lot of the criticism and a lot of the complaints are against Elizabeth and Missy because of the fact that they use this situation to their advantage. And as you said, that leads to a large issue in society where a lot of people don't believe women. I also would add, this also adds a large issue in society. And again, this is not to take away from people who have been legitimate victims of this kind of thing. Just let me reiterate that. It also goes to show that there can also be false accusations made against people in that situation that can damage people as well. This is not one of those situations because clearly we saw Dan did do inappropriate touching. So therefore, we know that he's guilty in some aspect in the fact that he's made someone uncomfortable. I personally believe him when he said he wasn't doing it in an intentional way, like, to do that. Like, that's just him, but that doesn't excuse what he did in any way. Of course it doesn't. He's been told, this makes me uncomfortable. He then has to go, okay, I have to stop. And then if he kept doing it, then, mate, you're a dickhead. You've been told. You've got to stop. But I just, the devil's advocate side of that too, which is dangerous for things like that, is when you've got two women who are not uncomfortable with this, and are not, like, it doesn't bother them, but they're using it to a point where they're basically, you know, because what if they were told this as a lie, and they're going, oh, yeah, no, I totally, it happens to me too, and then it's all false accusations. I think Janet was a star of the episode because she was going to both sides of it. She then obviously fell hook, lung, and sinker for these girls and trying to protect them, but I also appreciated her as well when she went to Dan. I was like, look, this is what's happening, what's happening? Like, I think she did brilliantly. She was on both sides, checking on both sides, and obviously had the women's back in the end of the day. Like, I don't know if I'm making any sense here, but um, 
I agree with everything you said. I'm just saying, like, from that perspective as well, I think it's important to look at all angles. And I think there was a very good tweet from a former Survivor contestant today who kind of covered all those angles where basically he had added that, like, look, this is not going to be a popular opinion, but I also feel for Dan because, yeah, he was in the wrong, but you've also got to look at what everything is happening with that. It's a, it's a, it's a very fine line there. If you know what I mean. So again, I know you don't really care about the extent to talk about I this much. I literally don't care at all. Like, but not, not I just I like to hear your perspective of things like this sometimes because thank you for that. I thank you for that. I I feel as though I'm obviously a very opinionated person. I talk to you a lot about certain issues and certain things that I don't agree with, and I don't often hear your perspective of it. So I don't know if I'm often spouting out vitriol that you're kind of thinking, "Oh my god, Ben's got stupid opinions," and I don't agree with him. I just I just don't know. I want to I want to hear what you think sometimes. So does our listener. <laughs> yes. Again, I don't really care that what much. What do you care about? Um no no no, I wasn't done. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. I will reiterate what I said to you last night and say like when Janet said that this is going to affect people's lives outside of the game, I 100% agree with that. Yeah. And that's where it becomes the problem and that's where it becomes a bigger issue and again like it's a bigger issue that the girls are using it as strategy and not as truth and i understand that it's a game of strategy but at what point is that line crossed and i think that you found the point i i think i read it i don't want to talk about this anymore i just i'm going to move on i just want to say one more thing like i read an opinion piece from a, a prominent survivor writer today and he kind of likened it a little bit to, like, as you said, like, it's a game and there's not really rules. You can kind of do what you want. Um, two moments stick out to me, which, again, I think are very dark, yet they got away with it. One is the Johnny Fairplay lied about his grandma dying to get an advantage in the game. And then Russell Hance famously claimed he was a victim of Hurricane Katrina to get sympathy from people as well. Both were complete lies. Now, while they're not on the same page as sexual assault... Um, it's still you're still using a dark thing to gain an advantage. But what about every cop who's ever played the game who said I'm not a cop, I'm something else? I, like I, that I, that to me is the same as saying, Oh, I'm a victim of a hurricane. Like I understand that it's different and like, yeah, hurricane you're like, playing destroys with emotions. people's lives, but telling people that you're not a cop also plays with their emotions because you know telling them that you're a cop automatically makes them assume things. I, I, I don't agree with that because I think um, no one watching at home sitting on the couch, no cop's going to sit there and get offended and you're not selling people who are genuine yes. victims of a tragedy. So anyway, we don't want to talk about this anymore. Uh, I was going to ask you something completely different. I can't remember what it was. It was a bit lighthearted. I, I, I don't know what it was how are your exercises this week? You did plenty of classes. You're you're on this point system. What's this point thing? What do we have to do at the gym right now to get these points? If I get five hundred points, then I go in the draw to win a three month, a two month, or a one month pass, and I get a free towel. <laughs> and that's all we want is a free towel, right? Yep. And uh, how are you going? How have you done this week? I'm pretty sure I have two hundred and seventy points. Just she's farting in the background there, folks. If you can hear some clicking going on. My um, bum is happy. You went four days this week. I'm very proud of you. Yeah. Good job. I have done two, four, seven classes so far. And you biked a lot this week too? Yep. I think I biked to and from the gym every time I went to the gym. Good job. High five. That was, yep. 
And we're going to be talking in this episode to Colin about a certain Don Cherry. How are you feeling about Donnie? I'm sad. You're sad? Yeah. Yeah. Does he want a hippopotamus for Christmas? I think he does. Okay. Or a new suit. All right, let's move on to the next segment. We went deep and dark and fun and, well, yeah. Classic time. Well, not really. It's actually Days of Our Pies. Uh, season two, episode four, we're up to right now. What is happening in Ramsey Bay, you say? Let's find out. Previously on Days of Our Pies. It appears that newly elected Prime Minister of Australia, Arnold Schwarzenegger, is coming to Ramsey Bay for a visit. Oh, my gosh. Prime Minister Schwarzenegger, you're early. Yes, that's right, Frank. I heard about the explosion, and I'm here to investigate. Oh my gosh, you're, you're Usain Bolt. Hey man, yes I am. I need to ask you something, man. It's very important. Like pastry in the oven, these are the days of our pies. I'm Lisa Jones, and these are the days of our pies. Far this season, Ramsey Bay has been rocked by a bombing of the town's police station and the early arrival of newly elected Prime Minister Arnold Schwarzenegger, as well as a new arrival of the Cover family. And now to add more fuel to the already shocking fire is the surprise arrival of world 100 meter record holder and the fastest man on earth, Usain Bolt, who has just knocked on the door of Rollballer Cereal and his son, Billy Musibar. This is such a shock, I mean. I love you, and so does me son Billy. We are massive fans. It just doesn't make any sense why you would be here in my house. I will explain everything in a second, man. But first of all, do you have any nuggets? Well, of course. C- come through to me kitchen. Billy! Me boy, Billy! Come meet our surprise guest! Hi, Daddy. I'm trying to watch the... Oh, my God! The same boat! I love you! You are my hero! Thank you, man. Damn, these are some good nuggets. Better than the nuggets I get in Kingston. That's good to know. They didn't call Ramsey Bay the nugget capital of Australia for nothing. So why are you here? Well, the main reason, man, is to eat the nuggets. Because I hear they're the best nuggets, and I know for myself that they are now. But secondly, I am here to warn you of a bombing that is going to happen in your town. Me in the police station! Yeah, that just happened like two episodes ago. Nah, man, that's just the beginning. There are going to be like three more bombings. And they're all going to happen this evening, my man. How is this possible? Ramsey Bay is so peaceful. And how the hell do you know? Good question, my little man. But I want some more nuggets. Yeah, have them all. Tell us more, though. Oh, yeah, my man. I will tell you first that I am an undercover spy for the GBI, the Jamaican Bureau of Investigation. And my investigation has led me to your beautiful town to stop the bombings that have been happening all the way around the world. And they started in my beautiful hometown of Kingston, man. That's horrible. No, man. And our sources have told us now that Ramsey Bay will be hit by four blasts this evening, man. One of which has already happened, man. And speaking of sources, can I have some barbecue for my nuggets, man? Here you go. 
This is horrible. We must stop them all. I'm right ahead of you, little man. Let's get cracking on the case, man. Billy, Usain, and Roy all go start investigating. Meanwhile, at the local gym, Prime Minister Arnold Schwarzenegger has been working out with his personal secretary, Hugh Jars, talking about things with Freak Cake Man and George Pie Man, who is still in disguise as Florge Gryman. Isn't he just amazing? He can lift a tank with only one hand. That sure is amazing. He has always been my favourite actor, and I was so happy that he became our Prime Minister after our previous one was mysteriously shot. In unknown circumstance. But why did it take nearly a whole year for us to get a new one? That's because Australia has been in such a shock about the alien attacks that we have been in mourning for nearly that long. I went out of my way to find a new one to get our great country back on its feet. And I thought, who better than a man who has saved the world before than Arnold Schwarzenegger? But he only saved the world in movies. They were real! Not movies, you stupid man! Now let's see if we can get him to talk to you, Frank, about what to do now you have been attacked and how we can rebuild your fragile little town. Mr. Prime Minister! Please come here! What is it, you? You know not to interrupt me while I'm lifting sheep. I'm sorry, sir, but we really need to talk about the rebuilding phase, as well as the announcement we were scheduled to make tomorrow. Oh, yes, sorry, I forgot! Mr. Frank Policeman, as you know, I was elected to lead, not to feed. So I'm here to help you with your town get back on the map. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. But what is the announcement? It is very important to the future of Australia and California and the world that is to be kept secret until tomorrow when I announce to the world. Do you understand? Of course I do. I said do you understand, you beauty man? Yes, 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 I do. Good. Okay, then. The announcement I am to make tomorrow is, well, is that Ramsey Bay is going to be closed as a town forever. Say what now? Did you not understand me? As of tomorrow, Ramsey Bay will no longer exist. Why on earth is Prime Minister Arnold Schwarzenegger planning to close down Ramsey Bay? Why is Hugh Jarr so snappy to George Pyman? Does the same boat really work for the JBI? And is Jennifer still talking to Dunacover? Find out next week on Days of Pie. Ah! Ah! Wow! 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 That was a very overextended wow. I apologise for that, but, um, got so much drama happening that you'll just have to wait to find out what on earth happens next week. <laughs> I think living in New Zealand, we would have this man on a lot more than we actually do, but apparently we used to have him on a lot more before I was living here, because for reasons or whatever it is. Um, Cue the sheep. Hello, Nick Chester. Welcome back to The Brink. Hi. Yeah, you don't need me, because you know what's going on in New Zealand now, so it was was only because you wanted to know what's happening, and now you know, so you don't need me. That's it. I don't need a correspondent when I'm living here. That's... That's exactly right. Um, <laughs> a lot has happened, though, since the last time. I I remember having a conversation with you beginning of the year or end of last year about this year being a pretty big year for, for World Cups for New Zealand because you had the cricket, you had the netball, and obviously you had the rugby. And I remember you talking to me about how you probably thought that they were going to choke the All Blacks and that, you know, maybe they weren't going to do the three-peat and... Lo and behold, semi-finals came around, and sadly the All Blacks didn't quite make it. They got the bronze, but uh, how how was that situation for you, Nick? Are, are you recovered? Did you not give a shit? What what, what were the feelings like? 
Well, I guess um, the, the honest truth is I didn't watch every game, um, and they might take away my passport for admitting that, but <laughs> that's the honest truth. Um, but I, I think probably um, it, it wasn't that I thought they would choke. I just thought that, it, you know, like it's really hard to win a World Cup of any kind three times in a row. Like there's not many countries. You, I don't even know if it's happened in the Football World Cup. You know, it's, it's a pretty rare thing to do. Um, and the All Blacks were probably up against it a little bit. Like they probably just didn't quite have all the greatest players that they've had over the years. So it wasn't a huge surprise to me. I think it was a bit surprising to see the kind of the way they exited that game against England. They were they were just completely outplayed and just got kind of pushed out of the game, which was kind of a surprise to everybody, I think. Um, so, yeah, I was, I, I'm was i totally okay um, and not, not at all surprised. And I think what's really interesting, if you'd said to me at the start of the year, well, we're going to win one of those three World Cups, which one would it be? I probably would have said rugby. I wouldn't have picked netball, probably. Um, so it's just interesting how things have turned out. I mean, in, in all fairness, um, at the end of the day, you made a final, you won one, and you got a bronze. So you got first, second, and third. So, you know, I guess for a New Zealand sporting culture, you can't complain, can you? No, and I think probably that's that's a really interesting point because I think um, if you had, and I mean, it'd be interesting to get your take on, on experiencing the New Zealand kind of vibes after losing a World Cup because it's been a long time since we've had to experience it. But um, I think it kind of shows that we've grown up a little bit in terms of a country that... I really didn't feel that kind of people angry at the All Blacks or, you know, just bitter that we lost. Like, I think everyone was like, oh, well, we've won two in a row. You know, it's okay that we lose one every now and then. Um, you know, and I think people were, like, just still really proud of the All Blacks that they kind of, they didn't, there were no excuses. They kind of, you know, they just said, oh, we got outplayed and they came back and, and played the, the, the third place game with, you know, a lot of a lot of character. And um, so I, I just kind of, like, a few years ago, I don't think Kiwis would be quite as, as good and forgiving about it as they were. Um, so I think, yeah, we're probably growing up a little bit as a country, which is quite nice because I do remember after kind of like the, the 2007 World Cup when we lost in the quarterfinals against France and, you know, there was a bit of a dubious call around a forward pass and, you know, like it was just all anybody talked about for weeks and months on end. And this time I think we've all kind of just forgotten about it already. And it's like, oh, well, you know, in four years we'll have another crack. So I think it's a good thing. I think we're, we're actually changing a little bit and, and it, it, it's for the, for the better, I think. Yeah, I did. Didn't really think there was much of a, a an outcry or disappointment. Like, yeah, it was sort of, you know, the radio in the office, the lead story of the news for like three days was about the All Blacks. But, um, yeah, I, I think kind of from what I saw, a lot of people, as you said, were just like, oh, look, we're proud of their effort. Like, good job. You know, you, you still got to the semis and there you go. You, you did your best. I think it was interesting, the outcry about not showing the bronze medal game on free-to-air TV and that they were going to show EastEnders instead or something like that. And people were, yeah. like, kicking the stink up about that. Like, you will show our All Blacks. But I did one thing I did appreciate, though, was you didn't see it at all during the Cricket World Cup or the Netball World Cup. I mean, I think we talked about the Cricket World Cup. It seemed like New Zealand didn't give a shit about it until you were in the final. But um, the... I saw a lot of cars driving around with, like, banners, like, All Blacks flags, a lot of houses that done their, you know, All Black stuff out the front. I thought that was great. Um, I went and watched the South Africa game in a bar with some people and experienced that. That was the day that the Stags won their first game in about three years. So, the Stags players were at that bar as well. So, it was a pretty good night to go and watch an All Blacks game. And the, the whole bar were decked out and all the All Black stuff, all the people behind the bar wearing the All Black. Like, I, I, I'm glad I experienced that aspect of it. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely appreciated how much you guys got behind it because 
I would Australia doesn't get that much behind during the Rugby World Cup. I've never really seen a lot of Wallaby stuff like that. Maybe during 2003 when we hosted it. But, yeah, I, I, I honestly would say I see more Socceroos stuff during a, a Football World Cup than I do during a Rugby or even a, even a Cricket World Cup, I would say. Yeah, and I guess it probably speaks to the fact that, um, you know, over over the years, rugby is obviously still the king sport here, but, you know, there's lots of other sports that people are invested in now, and New Zealand's got to go to a lot of other sporting events since, the you know, the last time we lost the World Cup. So, you know, it's actually not the be-all and end-all now. There's, there's all sorts of different avenues where Kiwis are doing well across the world. And so, yeah, I think it's probably not such a, a, a big driver of who we are as, you know, are the All Blacks the world champions or not. So, yeah, and, and I think it's probably one of those things is it's time for a bit of a refresh. It'll be interesting to see who we end up with as the coach because obviously Steve Hansen's been in or around the coaching kind of arena with the All Blacks for you know quite a while now so it's going to be quite a different culture change from here on out so yeah there's there's definitely going to be a bit of time for rebuilding we're probably not going to come flying out of the gates as the best team next year so hopefully we can just peak at the right time was it a surprise to you that south africa won well i think probably not i think probably if we weren't going to win it then they were probably the, the best odds to win it um i mean i guess it, We've got an interesting stat now that South Africa are now the first team to lose a game in the, in the Rugby World Cup and go on to win the tournament. That's never happened before. Um, so, you know, that's quite common in football. Um, in fact, you know, you see a lot of times that's almost like the, the good luck omen is you lose your first game um, and, and then go on and win the tournament. But it had never happened in rugby before now. So it's quite interesting. But South Africa have always been a really good team. And, and you might argue quite, you know, rightfully so that South Africa are actually the most successful rugby nation in the world more than New Zealand um, in terms of World Cups anyway because um, I mean we've com- we've we've competed in nine World Cups now and won three of them they've competed in seven because they obviously weren't in the first two World Cups because of apartheid and all that so they've actually won three out of seven and we've only won three out of nine so um, yeah I mean they're they're definitely a good side um, but you know I think probably the thing that will come up next is you know can can we beat them next year and we probably will you know especially the home game when it, when it comes here is that we'll probably you know we'll probably beat South Africa because we're a really hard side to beat at home and um, you know we'll probably have a really good shot at beating them on their turf as well so yeah I think they're probably the, the best team in the world at the moment and and you know rightful world champions australia still only won the two you know south africa overtook us so that's that's sad but uh, i do hope <laughs> i do hope next year though because they didn't play as many games in the rugby championship this year did they because of the world cup but i am very hopeful that the all blacks will play a game in dunedin because i i really do want to experience seeing an all blacks game <laughs> in new zealand before I still, I still am sad that when I, that first time I ever came and hung out with you and stayed with you and we did the Eden Park tour, that I was like leaving, I think the next day, and yet there was a, a Bledisloe Cup game in like three or four days after I was leaving. So it was, um, yeah, I, I, I do hope. And it doesn't even have to be against Australia. I'll go watch them play, I don't know, USA or Tonga or something like that. Yeah, it, from what I understand, the um, the allocation of, of um, All Blacks games to stadiums in New Zealand is quite a political thing. I kind of didn't realise it. it was like, oh, well, you just give, you know, Auckland, Dunedin, Christchurch, Wellington, you know, kind of get the main ones because they're the biggest stadiums and all that kind of stuff. And then the rest of us, you know, like kind of scrap it out for the other games against like, you know, 
Argentina or whoever. Um, but it is a lot more kind of um, political than that. And um, there are all sorts of different places that end up getting um, All Blacks games. But Dunedin's always quite high on the list because it's such a great stadium. So I would assume that probably Dunedin will have some game. I actually have no idea who the All Blacks are playing next year um, other than the rugby championship. So who knows who, what's what's happening next year. I don't think they've announced anything yet. I kind of always check by on the fourth bar stadium or whatever it's Foresight Barden, it's whatever it's called. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been there twice. Shania Twain and a and a um, Highlanders game. There you go. That's a good eclectic mix. Um, I, I am keen to head up to Hamilton next. Uh, not Hamilton, sorry, uh, Dunedin next year. There is a uh, a twenty twenty Australia v New Zealand game next year in Dunedin March. So might be tempted to go up there and uh, you know stand out in some green gold and amongst all your black caps and all that sort of stuff. How do you, how do you think I'll fare right. there? Um, yeah, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but no, um, no, nah, people, people are generally pretty good. I mean, we, we give each other a hard time all the time and, um, yeah, I think everybody's, um, pretty open to, to, to giving people, um, stick and, and just getting amongst it really. So yeah, the, the Southerners are always good at that. The, the one time I've been to the Forsyth Bar Stadium for, Listeners that don't realise it's actually a fully covered, so it's basically an indoor stadium. Um, like and a glass one of the house. locals, um, yeah, pretty much. And one of the locals um, decided to let off a massive fart about three <laughs> rows away from me. And because there's no, because there's no air, there's kind of nowhere for it to go. And um, these old ladies in the row behind me um, held a bit of a mock trial and decided it was me who had farted. So I got labelled as the as the farter. So that's my enduring memory of Forsyth Bar Stadium. But it is actually an awesome venue. Uh, oh, that, that's that's funny. That's that's very funny. I I did go see Australia play. New Zealand in an ice hockey matchup in Queenstown. I saw Rod Stewart's son, who plays for you guys. Um, he's half oh, right. half okay. Kiwi. He's uh, plays for the Queenstown team in the NZIHL, and he's good enough to make the New Zealand team. But uh, that's pretty cool. Like it was a pretty packed house. It's during the New Zealand Winter Games, and you know a few Aussies were there as well at the same time. So that was a, an entertaining nice. experience. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that would have been something a bit different, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's also interesting, you talk about like the sports you guys love and everything. I was in Auckland the other week and uh, walking around just exploring the city and there's a official America's Cup store. And I went in there and had a bit of a bit of a gander because uh, Auckland hosts that in a couple of years, don't they? Because you guys are the reigning champions, right? Uh, yeah, that's correct. So we won it. I can't even remember when we won it. It was a couple of years ago now. Um, so yeah, whoever holds the America's Cup gets the right to host it, and you don't actually you can you can host it wherever you want. So um, I remember you know laughably one of the times that it was won was by Switzerland, who don't mm. have a coastline. Yep. So they, I think they they held it in Valencia or something that year. But obviously when New Zealand won it, it's probably always going to be in Auckland because that's the most logical place for it to be. But um, so yeah, that'll that'll all be kicking off. Um, yeah, I'm not actually entirely sure when the next I one is. I think it's 2021 but, from what I saw in that. I could be yeah, wrong. Yeah, no, you're right. Yep, I've just done a quick Google of it. So, that, yeah, it, it's uh, March 2021. Which I, I just, I mean, I get it. It's a it's a big sporting event. Maybe I don't appreciate how big of a sporting event is that it's got its own official store. But um, I kind of thought it was interesting. It was actually a few people in there. It wasn't just like it was dead and there's a few crickets flying around. But it was like literally there were like probably four or five people in there looking and trying on things. And I've got to say, the New Zealand uniform, it's actually quite nice. Yeah, it's a weird sport because it's like one of those things like, 
nobody knows anything about yachting um, in this country, but everyone becomes an expert for about three weeks while the America's <laughs> Cup's on. And like the whole world kind of like the whole of New Zealand stops to watch the America's Cup. And I get slightly annoyed by it because it's like, you guys don't know anything about the sport, but we suddenly all pretend like we're lifelong passionate fans of it. It's quite weird. Um, it, it is one of those sports that I just find a bit weird because it's such a rich man's sport and it all kind of happens out on the water. So unless you've got a, you know, like a big, kind of super yacht that you can park next to the course and watch them all race past it it doesn't really translate to me but you know everybody else seems to enjoy it so I'm, I'm obviously just missing something i just yeah i'm with you i don't think it's the greatest spectator sport in the world but having said that i like formula one what do you do when you're at the track you just see a car go past really quickly cool um, it's not for everyone so um yeah I, I think one of the things they used to do is um the old america's cup boat they used to actually once it was all over they used to actually take people out on it and i think it'd be one of those things if you're actually on the boat it would probably be quite exciting because they move it and one hell of a pace you kind of just don't really realize because of the way it's kind of filmed but yeah they actually do move really really quickly but yeah it's not something i will be spending a lot of my time tuning into i must say i've seen a few sydney to hobart finishes um and but a lot of the time obviously the official line's kind of a bit out in the water but then the whole fun of it is then when you're in the docks and you know huge crowd there and you see all the people coming in the sailors spraying the champagne getting pissed and all that sort of stuff so that's kind of what you do there i guess so yeah um yeah now elections happened as in local elections and I remember being with you again, like a few years ago, the last time it happened. I, I still remember your then mayor, uh, who had just won, standing on the side of the road with a sign, basically saying, like, thanks for voting me in. Um, I believe you've got a new mayor now, though, um, which I guess I don't know how much you can talk about it because you're kind of involved in that side of things for your job. But I'm guessing it's kind of exciting to have a new mayor. Yeah, well, I mean, we um, at, at the last time around 2016 it was decided by around about six votes, I think. It went to like a, um, you know, a recount and all that kind of stuff to to kind of figure it out. And um, the person that lost, she ran again. And this time she she won by something like 3,000 votes. So it was a bit of a blowout this time around. Um and, um, yeah, I mean, um, there's been quite a big change in councillors for us in Hamilton. There's um, about five new councillors, um, quite a lot of young people standing. Um, we've gone from, I think, three women on our council to six. Um, so we've got a much more diverse council. And, you know, I guess you'd probably say that the council um, is a bit more representative of, of what Hamilton looks like, maybe. Um, just depends on who you are, I guess. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, it, it's early days yet. We, you know, um, we haven't had any meetings or anything like that. They'll all be starting to kick off soon but yeah definitely the voters in Hamilton wanted something a little bit different and, and that's kind of what we got. Sadly not down here uh, I think we had uh, two new councillors um, once technically I think he was returning he didn't get elected last time and he's back we got this other guy and I don't really like that guy but anyway uh, and our good old friend Timmy uh, he got in again here he is um, so uh, this, this guy I mean look he's an enigma Nick, he, I, that's, I still remember to this day the, one of the first things, probably the first thing you said to me when I was moving here, like, oh, you'll meet Mayor Tim. Like, he's just, he's an enigma. Yeah, well, I think he's, uh, it's pretty amazing that he's still hanging on, really. Um, you know, because he's he must be a fairly decent age by now. 72, 73, sure I think. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. And, uh, you know, the fact that he kind of just pisses in every election, really, like every time I think I hear, oh, it's going to be close this time, you know, like he's not going to get in. And then he just like, yeah, just just smashes it every time, seemingly. So, yeah, the voters obviously quite happy to still have him there. And, I mean, if nothing else, he's certainly been a huge advocate for the town for a very, very long time. Which I think 
that's why he keeps getting in because, in all fairness, the election campaign, he basically did nothing. And during my day job, I have to, like, do stories on them and, you know, kind of do profiles on each of the people that were running. And you try getting a hold of him. <laughs> like, it's just... I mean, everyone kind of has his number. You can kind of get a hold of him at most times if you've got to get a quote for a story. Like, he, you don't really need to go through media people because it's just Tim. But for the election, it's kind of like it's completely different. And, yeah, it was it was nigh on impossible. But, again, he didn't really campaign. He just put a couple of signs up. That was it. And then that was done. Whereas everyone else, like, they were fully campaigning in full campaign mode. They're painting their cars up. You know, they're doing all this, doing all that. And... Yeah, it's just it's it's very interesting. It really is interesting that he keeps staying on, and yeah, you like as you said, he's he's an advocate, like he's a face of this town. I think a lot of that's just what it comes down to, and I, there's no denying he's done great things for this city from what I've seen in my one year of living here. But um, I've also been in many a council meeting, and I have seen how he acts in those meetings. And there was a story done. Uh, recently about a lot of councils here concerned that he just doesn't do anything and he gets lost in meetings and that he has no clue anymore. And I have to say, sadly, I do agree with what they said because I've witnessed it and he doesn't seem to have a clue sometimes. Poor old Tim. <laughs> yeah, and I guess it's one of those things that, you know, somebody that's been a face for so long and, um, you know, most people wouldn't really have a clue what happens in the council because they don't see it, you know. Um, but if you're somebody that works for the council or you, you know, work for the media and you actually do get to see it, you get a, a, certainly a very different take on things. Um, so like in Aussie, uh, like when you have your like local council elections, are they generally kind of tied to political parties over there or, uh, or is it more like here? Um a bit of both. The the thing I'll say with council, like you you do have people running under political parties, but not as much. Like you you don't see it often, so they're they're generally just independent sort of people. But I will say it's not a big deal, as big a deal as I've seen it here. And I I would just attribute to that probably because you guys don't have states, so these are kind of like your state elections, if that makes sense. So like yeah, a yeah. state election is a big deal. Like a Tasmanian election is a big deal. But, like, council elections, again, state and federal are compulsory. you got to vote. Uh, council, you don't. And you don't have the media coverage, I think, as you do over here for council elections. Like, people know they're on. You see a couple of signs here and there. You just get it in the mail, and it's just kind of like, oh, I don't want to vote. I'll throw it out. Um, and, yeah, whereas here, it's like, yeah, it's a pretty big deal over here compared to, to Australia. So, but to answer your question, yeah, sometimes you will, but very rarely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's um, it, it's kind of one of those things over here that um, one of the things that's been a real concern is the dropping level of participation. And like, yeah, you just kind of pointed out that you know that voting is is something that you guys have to do for most elections over there, whereas we don't. And and it's also a postal vote over here for local council, which is different from when we vote our central government. And mm-hmm. um, and so there's been a real push by. You know, like lots of councils to try and increase the amount of um, of voting that happens. Um, and Hamilton actually had quite a decent um, upswing in the number of people that voted this time around. Um, but yeah, like actual voter turnout has been a real concern in council elections because yeah, it's it's that postal vote. And you know, like who who actually who actually knows where your local kind of um, mailbox is to post something back? It's like these days you wouldn't even know where that is. So it is a really weird thing. Um, so yeah, that's definitely been like a a, a real Really interesting kind of discussion around these elections. I was able to vote like super last minute, basically, because I, I think they kept sending me forms saying you're not on our register because I got my license and all that sort of stuff. And I had to ring them up because there's all that stipulation, the fine print, like you know, 
Um, you've got to be a New Zealand resident or citizen or you've got to be living here for 12 months, all this sort of crap. So anyway, I thought I didn't have to. Spoke to somebody and then they're all like, oh, cool. Well, when have you been here for a year? And I'm like, oh, I think it's like Thursday. So like two days before the election. And like, well, you could enroll because you then technically would be eligible if you then voted on Friday. So I basically did that, went in on the Friday into the council chambers and like, hey, I think I can vote. And they're like, yep, you can. So I voted. That was it. So... Um, I don't think your uh, federal election will be on before I leave. Uh, it could be, I guess. Jacinda could call it whenever. But uh, I, I think it's generally going to happen about this time next year, isn't it? So I would have left the country by then. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think it's normally around about September. Um, but, yeah, I guess we'll probably, we'll probably find that out sooner or later. You know, like um, sometimes they can be called early if there's, you know, like a, if something for some reason, you know, like things aren't going well. But... Um, things seem to be pretty stable at the moment. So, yeah, I'd, I'd imagine it will be the normal kind of September vote, yeah, mid-September normally. It'll be interesting because you also, like, there's a lot of talk around having, you kind of have referendums alongside that, don't you? Like, you've got the marijuana bill and now the dying indignity bill or whatever it is too, so you kind of have them at the same time. Yeah, well, I guess it's kind of just a way of kind of cutting the cost down of, you know, like if, you, if you're going to pay for a whole big election thing is actually get everybody out there and um, and chuck a couple of extra questions. I mean, I, I'm trying to remember what the last one was, but there was a referendum on something not that long ago, a couple of election cycles ago. Um, I think that might have been around our MMP system of voting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just like, a, you know, do you want to keep this or do you want to go to something else? Um, and, you know, like, so if there is a big issue like that, they'll put it next to your regular voting. But, yeah, it's pretty unusual to have two in, in one election. That is kind of strange. As long as it's not your flag again, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, geez, let's not even go there. <laughs> Ah, oh, remember that, kids? That was fun. Uh, Nick, always a pleasure. We'll have to do this again more often. I think I say that to you every time, so no doubt I'll talk to you in about six months then. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. That's big interview time, and an exciting one, one that I'm actually very surprised I haven't already played for you. Uh, one of my favourite people on the planet, Mr. Grant Bowler, uh, legendary Australian actor, host as well, former host of The Mole, Amazing Race. Amazing Race is back on our screens in Australia, but unfortunately it's not hosted by Grant Bowler, so I haven't watched a single episode of it. I refuse to. I don't want to see a Grant Bowler-less less amazing race-ness. Yep, I know what I'm saying. Anyway, uh, this is, I think, from 2010, so nearly a decade ago, but a fun, great chat with a legendary Grant Bowler from our days on the radio, in Edge Radio, in Hobart. Ben, shut up and play the interview. Grant Bowler first appeared in our screens as Constable Wayne Patterson in the hit show Blue Healers, before appearing in almost every successful Australian TV drama in the last 10 years. Through roles in Always Greener, All Saints, McLeod's Daughters and Canal Road, Grant has become one of Australia's most recognisable actors, as well as branching out into hosting with the Logie Award-winning Border Security and The Mole. Grant has recently stretched his roots overseas, appearing in Outrageous Fortune, Lost and Ugly Betty, and is about to join the Golden Globe-winning True Blood. Grant, thank you very much for joining us here on The Brink. It's a pleasure to have you on board. My pleasure. Now, Grant, when did your passion for acting first begin? (laughs) Um, Late, is all I can say. Uh, I think I was about 19 when I first got the idea, maybe 18 when I first got the idea that I I might like to have a crack at acting. But I was was deeply ashamed of it. (laughs) What was your plan always um, to be, Grant? Well, I didn't know. I had no idea. I, at the time when I thought I might like to have a crack at acting, I was writing ads. I was a cop, junior copywriter in an advertising agency. And uh, the lead copywriter was a bloke by the name of Harry Scott. And Harry used to be on, I think he was on um, The Young and the Restless. 
And so I recognised him off the telly, and and he was the first actor I'd ever met, and he seemed like a normal bloke, you know. He was he was married, and he had kids, and and he was making a living. There was nothing too strange about him, and and uh, and I'd never met an, uh, an actor before, and. Harry and I went out to do this uh, shoot this ad one day, and um, and the guy that was meant to be in the ad didn't turn up. I don't know what happened to him, but um, Harry said to me, "You get up and do it," and I said, "I'm not getting up and doing it. And that's will give me a hiding if they see me on television." And uh, and he said, "Well, we'll pay you." And that was it. I got up. I'll do anything for money. So I got up and I uh, I, I did the ad and. Um, I caught the bug, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly a good way to start off with there in an ad. What was the ad for? It was for a, uh, I think now defunct, um, discount women's clothing line uh, in Brisbane. <laughs> wow. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't for BMW or anything. It wasn't that flash. <laughs> but I kind of, the combination of, of having met Harry and him, you know, being a regular guy and, uh, and getting up in front of a camera and doing it and getting away with it, or what I thought was getting away with it anyway. Um, I kind of thought, oh, this is interesting, and I, I kind of chased it from there. And, of course, you went on to uh, graduate from NIDA, and you then branched out into television acting. Was this a plan as well once you got the acting bug? Because it seems as you had the experience working in front of the camera for this women's discount clothing line, Grant. No, I, look, I, I, while I was at drama school, I kind of got addicted to the whole theatre thing, and, and um, when I left NIDA, I, I spent my first two years out with the Bell Shakespeare Company. And I thought at the time that all I wanted to do for the rest of my life was... Um, was was theatre but I was broke after the second season I was a bit busted out I kind of had miscalculated my holiday pay a little uh, at, at the Adelaide Casino so I um I, I there was a pilot going for this television show and my mate said to me well you shoot pilots and then they hardly ever turn into a series you know you, you shoot the pilot they have a little pilot and most times these pilots don't go so I shot this pilot and it was for Blue Healers and uh it went for a while. It was more successful than my mates told me it was going to be. went on to massive success, of course, um, on the screen there. And uh, you played Constable Wayne Patterson on that show. How was that experience working on this unknown TV drama at the time that has gone on to be one of the most successful shows in Australian TV history? Yeah, look, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good question because when you shoot things, and I don't think people always understand this, when you shoot things, you shoot them. The first series you shoot of anything, you really shoot in a vacuum. Um, it's normally six to nine months ahead of when it gets seen, you know, so... That first season of Healers, we had no idea what the show was going to be like, whether it was going to rate, whether it was going to get accepted or not. And uh, and so, you know, we, we really had no idea. You go to work every day, you shoot the thing, but you, you, you don't know whether it's going to be any good or not. And, you know, people ask you what you're doing, and you say, I'm shooting a television show, and they wouldn't know it from a bar of soap. Yeah. So the first year of any show is always a really strange beast, you know. So when you've this has gone to air, it's gone into massive success, how was it getting used to the fact that people would recognise you on the street? You're, you're Constable Wayne Patterson from Blue Healers. How are you going? Yeah, look, I, I wasn't used to it. It had never happened. You know, it was my first, uh, my first TV gig. And uh, I found it really strange. I found it a bit disconcerting, actually. I was kind of, you know, at that age, around 23, 24, I think I was, um, you know, that's a big shock. And, uh, and, and I was kind of a bit ambivalent about all the attention. I, I, I loved doing my job, but I, I wasn't sure what people wanted me to do or be when I met them. Um, and that's something that's really changed over the years, you know, I kind of... I think that takes a while to get used to, and these days, you know, I appreciate it, and I like it that um, 
that people have enjoyed stuff I've done or that they watch it, you know, or that it gives them some value. So, you know, you develop a relationship with that stuff. But it is it is really off-putting at first, people staring at you for no reason. <laughs> I suppose it's something you're getting used to all over again, though. You're branching out into the States where you're trying to start over again in a television career and that. So is this sort of reliving those days when you were just starting out in Australian TV? Yeah, well, I had a, I had a kind of a, a purple patch in the US for about three years when... You know, when I was trying to get work and then when I was first shooting stuff when it where nobody knew me from a bar of soap and I could wander around and, you know, and, and there's that lovely sense of anonymity again. Um, but, you know, it's kind of, it's it's a lot different now because, you know, I did Lost and Lost, a few people watch Lost, um, <laughs> like wildly, wildly successful and also the fans of Lost are like obsessive so they watch every episode about eight times yeah and then you know two seasons of Betty and now True Blood it's um it's you know it's 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 back to how it used to be in Australia which is which I love it's great I mean I'm, I'm really proud of the work that I've done uh, over here and proud, really proud of the, the projects I've gotten to be a part of there's you know there's no duds amongst that so you know it's, it's all good mate no, well this is one of the things too I mean I'm a massive fan of Lost and we all are here at the show and I'm sitting down watching Lost you know they're on the boat and all of a sudden Grant Bowler's on my screen I'm going what's going on he's Grant you know he's a fantastic actor on our screens in Australia <laughs> it was great to see you Grant it, it was good I mean obviously you've uh, you put your roots out there with Ugly Betty and we'll get to your role with with True Blood shortly. But after Blue Healers, you've gone on to appear on pretty much every successful Australian drama of the 90s and 2000s. And then you've gone on, of course, to what a lot of people still know you for is the host of The Mole. Now, this at the time was a new genre of television, reality TV. It was sort of just finding its feet. How was it being a host of such a relatively new genre, and how was the experience on that? It was great. Look, the, the best thing about The Mole was, as you say, nobody had made reality. I don't think at that point any Anybody had actually made reality in the English-speaking world. We were the first ones to do the mole after the, uh, I think it was, it was the Belgians um, came up with the concept of the show. And so reality hadn't really even been invented yet. The, the great thing about making it, and, and what attracted me to making it was, but I'd never seen television like it. You know, it's difficult to look back now about 10 years later and go, you know, how, how did you not know what reality television was? But it didn't exist. Hmm. And... Um, and, and the greatest thing about that was the original 10 contestants, the first 10 contestants on that show got put into a situation that they had never seen. They'd never seen the like of it. They didn't understand what, the, what they were doing or why. They didn't have any concept of what we were doing to them. And they were probably the most uh, natural and, and un... Um, it's like the perfect jury pool. Yeah. You know what I mean? They yeah. had no kind of preconceptions on anything. And, and, and that was truly amazing to be a part of. As the show went along, I noticed that uh, season to season, the, the contestants almost became more and more professional. They mm. knew what to expect. Uh, they knew how the game worked. They, they had an idea that, you know, they were going to be on TV. So they started, uh, you know, it's human nature, but they started kind of mitigating some behavior. And, mm. But that first lot, uh, they were absolutely raw. And the first time around, David Mason, who was the producer of it, and I... Uh, you know, we're driving around in a Tarago making up reality television for <laughs> ourselves. And, and it was, and he's about the brightest guy I've ever met in my life. And it was a joy, it was hilarious, and I've never worked longer hours in my life. <laughs> and of course, the first season was filmed in Tasmania too. What was the experience like? Was that your first taste of Tasmania? The first time I went to Tassie, and I loved it. I loved it. Um, 
look, the, one of the great kind of you know um, perks of this job is, is is you get to you get to see a lot of stuff that otherwise you might not ever get to see, you know. And uh, and Tassie was definitely one of those th- one of those things. I got to see a lot more of Tasmania in a lot more kind of involved way than than maybe I I would have um, you know without without the show. So. I loved it down there. It was great. The people are people are great down there. We we try to be great. You're always welcome back. You know, doors are always wide open. We'd love to have you back here in the future if you ever want to pop in for a visit. Oh, I've got no people in Tassie. Don't you worry. One of my one of my closest mates is from Tassie. Now, of course, um, after uh, the mole, you've gone on to several other shows, and two of my favourite roles that you have portrayed uh, was that of Greg Steele in Always Greener and uh, Peter Holmes in On the Beach. Now, with Always Greener, was it oh difficult to to play the role of an abusive father? And did you worry that the public would react badly to this? It's an interesting question. You know, my my uh, I I never sat a hundred percent comfortably in the show. Um, I, I think it was a fine show, but I never sat completely comfortably in that show. And I think the reason was was that for me as an actor, if I was going to have a crack at that landscape, I'd want to do it more thoroughly. Mm. Um, and uh, I kind of felt like it was getting it was getting a bit lost in amongst, um, you know, because the show was essentially a comedy. Yeah, uh, and a very unfunny topic. So um, yeah, it's it's to. You know, in terms of fearing how an audience would react, no, I think I've I've done stuff. It's um, it's shown that I I don't mind provoking a result, uh, a reaction in an audience. But mm. in retrospect, if I was going to tackle that topic, I'd actually want to go further. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose because as you're saying, it's more of a comedy. It was presented more of I suppose they say dramedy is the topic. But you watch it after a while, and they would they would go more for the laughs, I suppose, and it didn't fit in that well with it. But I, I know a lot of people in reference to say when, you know, oh, we're having Grant Bowler on the show, a lot of people would say to me, oh, he's a guy from my, oh, he's a guy who was in Always Greener. So a lot of people still remember you for that role. Oh, that's nice. That's good to hear. Thank mm. you. Yeah. I know the, um, you know, the, the child abuse thing came up as well when I was doing uh, Outrageous Fortune. There was a scene where I, 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 the script asked me to kind of rage at my daughter and, and I went as far as I could humanly go. And I was terrified about how, how, how an audience would react to it. And um, I was walking down the street and a Māori woman walked up to me and, and she gave me this big hug and she said, thank you. And I said, what? She said, because I've yelled at my kids. I've absolutely yelled at my kids. And I don't know a, a mother or a parent who hasn't absolutely yelled at their kids. And to see somebody do it on screen took away some of the shame. How does that feel, though, given that you obviously the audience to get used to you on TV and that, and you suppose sometimes you get worried that these roles where you're abusing children or like your character is, that they're going to react <laughs> negatively to that and that they come up to you. I mean, that must feel fantastic having the audience reaction come up to you like that, though. It is, you know. I mean, that's what makes it worthwhile. I kind of, I do this because I'm addicted to telling stories. Um, I love telling stories and you know and for me the dream is being able to tell stories that I think provoke people or I mean they don't have to be you know they don't have to be sad and and down and horrible or anything else like that but you know they've either got to provoke or educate or entertain in my book and and I want one of those three things I think what an audience is looking for when they watch a, a story is 
to see their own experience mirrored and to watch somebody else go through their own experience. With um, your roles, I was mentioning the mole, you've, of course, the voice of border security, which has gone on to massive success. And you're talking about telling stories. You're doing it sort of in the opposite way. You're telling factual stories. So, I mean, is that an awesome role for you too in that aspect? Yeah, look, that's why I love border. Um, I've been doing it, I think I'm finishing up, God, I think we're finishing up the seventh series at the moment. And uh, what I love about it is it's, it's, it's near-perfect storytelling. Hmm. It's you know I've I've always giggled like for five six years I've giggled that um, every year when we release it I get asked in, in thirty or forty interviews you know why what do you think makes the show so successful and my answer constantly seems to be a little insufficient but it's what I believe it's because the the show is near perfect storytelling and it doesn't attempt to tell massive gigantic stories. But the stories are great, and they're and they're all people based, and they're all in a place that we're all fascinated with. Absolutely, so I love it. I mean, I love I love being the voice of it. I love the show. I think, as far as those observational documentary style shows go, I think it's absolutely you know head and shoulders the best. It's very popular. I know that, and a lot of listeners again as well mentioning Grand Bowler. They know you from board security as well. But um, well, with the many roles that you have acted in, we've actually noticed that at least four times we've counted your character has been killed off. Now, has your acting skills when it comes to dying have these improved grant i mean are you getting used to being killed off now <laughs> the first one was uh the first one was hilarious the first one was blue heel as i survived um a gunfight uh and basically then got run over by a bread van and i was always <laughs> i was always wondering if they were trying to make a point when they ran me over with a bread van <laughs> um yeah i died in always greener uh by bee sting yes. i've had some amazing deaths you know like some some amazing amazing deaths and, and I've got to tell you, death by beasting and death by bread van, they're they're big acting assignments. They're up there, they're up there. I, you don't do office. that too it's, often. <laughs> no, nah, you know, like you're going to get shot. Fair enough, everybody knows the drill. You get shot, you drop, you're gone. But yeah. the um, but the bread van and the and the beasting, they require a lot of craft. You've also played a lot of police roles too in Blue Healers, uh, Canal Road. You're also a detective, but also military as well. On the beach, you're in, you're a lieutenant uh, in Always Green. You're in the army as well. Do you get used to these ones as well? Yeah, close contract. I played an ex-SAS uh, bodyguard, and through my eyes, the Lindy Chamberlain thing. I played a um, sergeant of Texas. It's interesting. What I what I find interesting about jobs like um, policemen, you know, like that's kind of an archetype. People, are, and I think particularly men. Although I don't mean to, I don't mean to kind of stereotype, but I I see the tendency really strongly in men. Tend, uh, people tend to, at some point, identify with their job, what they do, you know? And then mm. you almost get two people, the, the person who is the job and the person who is the person outside the job. That's what fascinates me with jobs like policemen or, you know, or, 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 or any role like that that's kind of all-consuming mm. is, you know, what, what gulf, what gap builds up between the person and the person who's the person doing the job. And uh, speaking before, of course, you've just uh, signed on to be in True Blood, massive success uh, TV show, Golden Globe winning show that one is, but you're playing the role of Coot, which is a biker werewolf. Now, is this the biggest direction change you've ever had, Grant? Um, look, biker werewolf is just a redneck with special effects, <laughs> and I have played my fair share of rednecks. <laughs> so... No, Any, anything something like that comes up, I grin because I go, I can go back to my roots. That's fine. I go back to Mount Gravatt in Brizzy, circa 1980, 
and I've got it all sitting there. <laughs> no acting, no acting required, Grant. It's just a case of remember no what I was required. like. It's just it. Well, I remember the guys growing up. I remember my big brother one afternoon taking me up to this bloke's place, and he was the local hero. He he was the champion of my neighbourhood. He just bought a, a Tirana, a V8 Tirana, and I swear this guy was Bon Scott for us <laughs> at that moment in time. He had that classic yellow Tirana with the black stripes, the A9X body, yes. the 308 V8. I, I remember everything. I remember every aspect of it. I remember <laughs> him opening the bonnet, and I remember all the guys standing around, and uh, and that's what I go back to, that group of blokes standing around that Tirana. Unless you've got something to work on there, you know, as I said, improvisation, perfect. You're in that moment, you're back in the 80s, there's that Tirana, there's your mate. Fantastic to have that image in your head, Grant. Now, uh, look, before we wrap things up with a set of questions we like to wrap all our guests up with, now, you obviously, as I said, you're making it in America right now, you're going great guns overseas, but in 10 years' time, where would you like to be, Grant? Would you like to be Emmy, Golden Globe winning award winning actor Grant Bowler, or are you happy with way things are going at the moment you know what i'd like i'd like the the work i'm doing to get better and better that's all that's what i'm after i want to i i want every time i turn around and look backwards at a job to go you improved there you got better uh how that looks on the outside i don't know and the other thing i really really you know always am, am, am working towards is just getting my hands on the you know on the best material that i can get my hands on because it's challenging Absolutely. Well, we're going to wrap it up now, Grant. Set of four questions we'd like to ask our guests. So if you're nice and relaxed, these are really simple. Don't worry yourself too hard. They're going to be fine. So we'll start off right away with probably the easiest question you'll ever get asked in any form of interview. What is your favourite type of cheese? (laughs) Havarti. Havarti. Oh, that's a new one. We haven't heard that one before, I don't think. I think it's got the highest fat content. That's why I love it. Ah, yes, I can see why you probably would like that. Uh, Question number two. Are you a folder or are you a scruncher? Scruncher. Scruncher. Ah, see, look, we've had so many folders on recently, it's good to have a different different person go on the other side, Grant. So um, the scrunchers right now are happy to hear that. Uh, question number three, are we alone in this universe? No. No. Good, nice, simple answer. And our final question, not sure if you're aware, here at the Brink we're trying to campaign to bring the Olympic Games to Hobart in 2020, starting to take off well. But if you could see any event in the Hobart Olympic Games, can be anything you can set your mind free on, Grant, what would you like to see and why? In the Hobart Olympics. Oh, jeez, mate. Um, I'd like to see the luge. Mm. What's that mountain in Hobart? Mount Wellington. Mount Wellington. I want to see a Mount Wellington luge. That would be fantastic. Top to bottom. Yes, that would work yeah, very well. a bit of extreme stuff happening. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I remember our, our blokes having to hike up that mountain and it's freezing at the top even in summer. It is. Salute. Fantastic. Well, that sounds brilliant. Look, Grant Bowler, thank you very much for your time here on The Brink. Fantastic to have you on board and good luck with True Blind and everything else that comes your way. Thanks very much for having me. We are getting very international this week. We've heard from New Zealand. Well, you hear technically from there every week because I live there now. Uh, but we also got to hear from Canada because you also hear from them too because Mallory's Canadian. But whatever, um, big stuff happening over in True North Strong and Free this week. Bigger than anything that's happened at all this year because nothing's happened at all in Canada this year. And to tell us about it, it's Mr. Canada himself, Colin Hilding. Colin, welcome back. Uh, thank you. I'm, I'm cautious about what I'm going to say because I'm pretty sure I could lose my job if I uh, say the wrong thing or phrase it the wrong way. Are, are you about to tell us that the Maple Leafs have finally won the Stanley Cup? Is this the breaking news? Like, what's going on? Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it is hockey-related, of course. Um, I'm actually curious as to how big of a story this is outside of Canada. Like, you had heard about this from Mallory. Did you only know about it because... 
she's Canadian and heard it? Yeah, I only heard about it from Mallory because, um, I mean, look, I'm I'm friends with plenty of Canadians on on social media. I've got I follow a lot of Canadian things. Uh, but I did not see this. I did not see any of this until Mallory told me, and then I looked it up and kind of read what happened. So, um, yeah, I, I look. I I don't know, particularly in New Zealand, how much um, Canadian hockey broadcast news makes it to. It's, it's. I'm sure you're getting very close updates about the Jacinda Ardern things that are happening oh. here about referendums. <laughs> yeah, all those dramatic things going on with that. It's big news here. Uh, <laughs> uh, I heard she may be replacing Don Cherry on Hockey Night in Canada here. Uh, <laughs> well, that's the story that's being spun. She here. might not be as fashionable, uh, but, um, you know, no disrespect <laughs> to Don Cherry, maybe a bit better looking. But, I mean, Don Cherry's a beautiful <laughs> man, but, you know. Oh, yeah. For 85, yeah. Uh, for people who don't know, Don Cherry might be the single most popular canadian uh alive like if you were to honestly pull canadians wayne gretzky or don cherry don cherry would probably win and for people who aren't canadians you probably don't even necessarily know who he is uh he was a hockey player in like the 50s and 60s like mid-level success uh became a coach was the head coach of the boston bruins for a while but then once he retired from coaching in the early 80s, he started hosting a segment that plays during Hockey Night in Canada, which is, you know, our for Americans, it would be like your Monday night football. And he's basically spent close to 40 years, 35, 40 years hosting a 10 minute segment in between the first and second intermission where he just goes on there and talks about what happened in the game, talks about what happened to all the other games, just sort of gives an analysis he is such a huge personality. Like, th- there's really nobody else like him. That's the reason why he's the most famous Canadian. Like, it would be the equivalent of, like, a talk show host, like David Letterman, um, in fact, very similar, or a personality like Howard Stern, where he's just, he's he's very opinionated, he's very loud, he's very funny, and he's just become such an icon that there was a, uh, a massive poll done across the country they spent months doing uh, where there was a TV special called The Greatest Canadian, where they counted down the 100 greatest Canadians of all time, which was a lot of politicians and you know things like that. And Don Cherry made like number seven or number six of all time, uh, up there with like the greatest prime ministers. Uh, so that's how loved he is. Now he said many offensive things in the past, but last week on his Coach's Corner segment, he was making a speech about. Remembrance Day is what we call it here. Americans call it Veterans Day. I don't know. Is this even a thing outside of Canada and the uh, United it's States? Remember, like, it's know, called Remembrance Day in Australia. It's called Armistice Day in New Zealand. But, yeah, no, we call mm. it Remembrance Day in Australia. Yep. Yeah. Now, do you have these these little plastic flower things that people wear on it called poppies? Yep. Yep. No, we, we use those. A lot of them are okay. uh, around our Anzac Day, which is kind of our bigger military commemoration mm. day. But, uh, no, they, they wear it on both. Yep. Yeah, so I like Don Cherry has always been like the biggest supporter of, you know, veterans in the military. Not even not supporter of military. It's like go out and you know kill those Middle Easterns. That's not the way he is. But like <laughs> he's such a supporter of veterans, veterans' rights. Um, every year on Remembrance Day, uh, he will film a segment from a graveyard, like a World War One you know, memorial site. Like he's such a huge supporter that he got a little bit too opinionated in his segment about people not wearing poppies, where he was saying, you know, people don't wear these things anymore. And he used the phrase, you people who come here, which was immediately interpreted as being anti-immigration or anti-immigrant and kind of a racist segment. 
and it kind of blew up overnight. Now I wasn't in the country even at the time. We were, you know, uh, it, um, uh, on vacation in the United States at the time, but I still read about this within 24 hours, and within 48 hours, he was fired. Now this is a guy who's been on TV forever. He's 85 years old. He's the most popular entertainer, if you want to call him that, in the entire country. And he was fired for saying you people in reference to immigrants. In a statement that's been very misinterpreted on both sides right now. It's it's kind of unusual. There's never been anything like this. This has legitimately become a more controversial topic and a topic people are more divided on than when our prime minister appeared in blackface, which is insane. It's I actually just... Um read here so the the biggest news website in new zealand is a website called stuff stuff.co.nz um very great name of course and there it is actually on stuff.co.nz so the headline is canadian ice hockey commentator don cherry fired for rant on immigrants um and it leads with don cherry canada's most polarizing flamboyant and opinionated ice hockey commentator was fired on monday tuesday nz time for calling immigrants you people in a television rant in which he said new immigrants are not honouring the country's fallen soldiers. Now, what what is the general opinion, though? Because with the Justin Trudeau stuff, no one was defending it. It was... Yeah. It was, it was wrong. Um, it, that was clear-cut. Here, though, what what is the general opinion of it? Because, I mean, even in Googling it here, you kind of see your general... Um, headlines of certain publications because this is the way we are in 2019. You know, Don Cherry debacle highlights the whiteness of hockey because, mm-hmm. you know, why not? Things like that. But, like, is this something that people are very much like, yeah, he was wrong, get rid of him? Or because he is so beloved, is this a little bit more different? No, I I think the major reaction actually seems to be they shouldn't have fired him, even from people who say what he said was wrong. Uh, unfortunately, I think both sides of the argument, those people who are saying that was totally inappropriate, I'm glad they fired him, and then those who are defending him, even those who say, yes, I agree what he said was inappropriate, nobody's actually really listened to the original segment because he came out like Tuesday or something like that and made his first interview and saying, you know what, I, I regret saying you people, but he kind of defended it and saying I was talking about everybody. And now there's a lot of people jumping to his defense saying he wasn't even making statements about immigrants. He said you people about everybody. But I actually went back and watched the original segment. And you can kind of tell he's he's one of these people where he often he's all over the place. He's got a thought here, a thought here. And you could tell he had two different thoughts on his mind. And he started one thing and he ended up on another because the way it actually plays out is – He's saying, you know, oh, you know, I live in Mississauga and nobody wears a poppy anymore. And, uh, you know, when I go around Toronto, I never see anybody wearing poppies anymore. He is literally talking about everybody, not like all of Canada, Canadian society. But then he says, you people who come over here. And I think that's what keeps getting dropped by people who are defending this is a lot of people now jumping to his fence saying, well, Don Cherry said in the interview that he was talking about everybody. He didn't say you people for immigrants, but he actually did. He said you people who come over here and talk about reaping the benefits. So I believe that he was making a generalized statement and then focused on maybe, you know, a, 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 a section of immigrants, which, I mean, from my opinion, you know, I feel like you would give more of a free pass to immigrants because they're not from here. This is, And as he said himself, this isn't – he's going down the streets and nobody's wearing them. It's not like this is such a huge part in Canada. You're like, well, I got to take part in this. Like immigrants are coming over here. They don't know 
you know, then why should they be wearing it? But at the same time, do I think he should be fired for this? No, because this is a guy who, you know, received death threats back in the 80s for, you know, being so offensive and so, you know, abrasive and making light of so many things that this is of all things is what he's going to get fired for. I mean, seriously, it, it, it reminds me a lot of like the, the James Gunn firing from Marvel, mm. uh, which I, I kind of am using that as for, for a lot of people are saying like, Oh, he should have been fired. I'm like, well, gee, I remember you getting behind James Gunn. And what he said was actually a lot more offensive than that, but it sort of, it, it brings up a similar point. You know, do you hold something against a person because they said something stupid which wasn't well thought out. And you could tell even from listening to the original clip, he had two thoughts in his head. He just chose the wrong words. Did he have maybe the wrong opinion about immigrants? Yeah, but was it an unfair opinion because he was defending another group that is sorely not, you know, represented properly in society? That's where it gets tricky. He was defending, you know, uh, what you could, I guess, call a minority group and attacked another minority group in the in the process. So it's 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 one of these things where nobody really has a firm opinion. Everybody just sort of says, I don't know if he should have been fired for that. I'm going to be an immigrant in your country in less than a year, Colin, so I better start wearing a poppy just in case. You people! Don Cherry spots me. It is... Yeah. <laughs> look, it is interesting, and this isn't an isolated incident in today's society, is it, when it comes to people losing jobs and things like that over something that they've either said in the past or said in the time, and... Yeah, it's I don't know. It's it's one of these things where networks and publications and things like this are very quick to jump on things like this now, which for the most part can be a good thing. Um but at the same time it can also lead to quick fire decisions which, you know, in reflection maybe aren't the best because you haven't really looked at all angles of it. I, I don't know. It's it's and this this is what is frustrating, I think, in society is that we, we have to constantly talk about things like this and like kind of like, oh, I don't know what to think about it. Like it just – these are – in the grand scheme of things, you know, kids are dying in Africa from starvation. Uh, you know, like it's just there's, there's crises happening in the world which I think we should be focusing our attention on. Should we really be caring about mm-hmm. like one prominent guy with a voice who said a slightly wrong thing that's interpreted by some as wrong, some don't think it's that bad – and we're putting all our efforts into this. It's just the kids these days, it, Colin. <laughs> for for me, though, the, the most sad thing about this, and I'm sure you already know about this or everybody does who uh, has ever met me or talked to me for five seconds, my three-year-old has this bizarre obsession with Don Cherry. And he doesn't focus on law. Like, he will watch cartoon movies. Anything live action does not hold his attention. It, nothing really holds it. I mean, he's all over the place. He's like Don Cherry. He's all over the place. He's three. But this isn't like a thing. <laughs> well, it, even – yes, exactly. But even before he was three, like Hockey Night in Canada, it plays during the playoffs and everything. I mean, he was born during the playoffs, but he wasn't old enough to know what he was seeing. By the time the next season started, which was what, like October, um, November – how old would he have been? Like four months old, maybe? Let me see. He was born in May, June, July, August. Less five or six months old. Five or six months old, Hockey Night in Canada is on, and he's glued to the TV. I'm like, this is kind of weird. Like, he's he's paying really close attention to this. And then after a couple weeks, he starts smiling every time Don Cherry is on TV. And he's six months old. 
Um, and we could never figure out what it was, like, because he would smile if people were smiling back at him. Don Cherry doesn't smile. Uh, he has a big, loud voice. People tried to say, well, he wears – one of his trademarks is he wears these very colorful jackets and ties and shirts. So, like, he, he wears very plaid suits, like, bright colors. Like, well, me, it's the colors. We were showing him clips where Don Cherry was just dressed in, like, a sweatshirt and jeans. And he would see him and just start smiling. And it's never one of these things where he just watches it because you know, maybe we're not watching a game every single week. He's in bed sometimes. He will come running when he hears the coach's corner theme played to this day. This has been from six months until today. He could be off. You you were around him. Mallory was around him. He climbed all over You know, both of you guys for two days. Uh, he does not sit still for anything. The coach's corner theme plays. He could be in the other room, and he just comes running, and he just stands completely still for 10 minutes, staring at the TV, calmly not saying anything. It's the most bizarre thing ever, and... <laughs> this incident has robbed me of the only 10 minutes of peace that I have every single week. Hire the man back. I don't care what he says. I don't care what he does, Sam Grits. I need that 10 minutes of peace. It's, um, well, you know, you just need to play old tapes and everything like that. Um, Mallory said she's Oh, he saw- has them. I've got, no joke, six months old, Casper, his first Christmas... I go to like some used DVD store and I buy Don Cherry for like 25 years or 30 years. For 30 years straight, he released a video and now DVD every single year, which is just highlights of all hockey clips. And then Don Cherry introduces segments in between. Casper owns like 12 or 13 of these now because this first Christmas, I bought like four or five of these things used. And he was like, you know, on his first Christmas, smiling and laughing at the TV for no reason whatsoever, just because he sees Don Cherry. So yes, there is life still. But, you know, it, it's it's different. What, he's he's getting the age now where he's going to want to see this on a weekly basis. He's going to be like, you know, it's 645. How come Don Cherry isn't on? It's Mallory shared a meme or told me about a meme. You've got a, a very, um, like, a, a national chain of, like, drapery stores or, like, material stores yeah. or something yes. like that. <laughs> and it basically there's somebody put a meme saying that they've gone out of business now that Don Cherry's that being fucked. out of business, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I thought that was funny. Um, what, what, I can't believe he's 85. Like Mallory pointed yeah. out, like, we looked him up at like, 85. I, I've only seen a few clips of him. I'm not, you know, as familiar as you two are, but um, he looks good for his age. And like he, he, this is all he does. This is what's, I think, I, I honestly believe he will be back. I think that they're going to kind of play this out for a little while. There's going to be a lot of support for him coming. Cause again, even people who think what he said was wrong or like he shouldn't be fired for this. Um, people are going to lose their jobs. Like, this is, like, the highest-rated segment. Hockey Night in Canada is the highest-rated show in the country, and now you have the highest-rated segment. People will tune into Coach's Corner even if they're not watching a game. They're going to start taking hits for this. He will be back, but, like, every single year it's a thing of, like, is he going to come back because he's 85 years old? Like, what what is he going to do if he doesn't do this? Nothing. He's probably going to die now. Um, and then everyone... Oh, thanks, Ben. You know your track record with celebrity deaths. <sighs> Uh, and then everyone's going to be, yeah. No, I should, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Don Cherry. Sorry, Canada. I've killed a national icon. Um, let me let me rephrase that. Justin Bieber's probably going to die now. Is that? Oh, thank you. Is that better? <laughs> Chad Kroger. He's probably going to die. Yes. Now. <laughs> um, before we let you go, anything else exciting happening? How are the Leafs going? They're they're doing okay. Uh, they, they went to a record 11th uh, round in a shootout a couple of weeks ago. Wow. Um, that was fun. I, I you know, often extend my recordings because, 
games don't always end on time and i was glad that one you know i extended it quite a while because it went like 11 straight rounds which was nuts uh they've been juggling backup goalies all over the place uh because apparently they can't afford to actually hire a backup goalie so they just keep calling up guys from the minors every two weeks um it's been a hit and miss season for them but they're turning things around now i think the the thing that i'm most uh intrigued about uh on the canadian perspective Edmonton and Vancouver. How is this a thing? <laughs> Edmonton. The they were meant to be one of the worst yeah. teams, weren't they? And like, I have to keep telling Mallory, like, Vancouver's doing all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the craziest thing about Edmonton is they were that team that spent so many years at the bottom of the league that they just got first-round draft pick year after year after year and nothing made a difference. They get Connor McDavid, like, the player of this generation, didn't make any difference. And suddenly, just out of nowhere, it just clicks. Just looking quickly at the time and time recording, this probably changed in a couple of days when we release this, but all the Canadian teams right now are in playoff positions with the exception of Ottawa, which that's not a surprise. <laughs> Classic Ottawa. Even if they would blow it somehow. Yeah, I mean, Calgary's dropped a little bit, but they're still in the wild card. Winnipeg are hanging on to a wild card. Um, yeah, geez. This, I mean, I'd love to see... Six Canadian teams make it. That would be fun. But anyway, um, always a pleasure. Colin, thank you. And uh, thanks a lot for saying anything uh, slightly offensive this week. So we had to fire you for next week. Uh, thank you. That's because I love all you people. Time to close it off for another week. You realize this is a penultimate episode for November. And I think we've only got about three more of these till we get to our best of episodes. Can thank you? The Lord. Can you? <laughs> what do you mean? Are you going to return to this show in 2020? Look at me and answer this to our listener because I'm gonna I'm gonna yes. fire you from this show if you don't pick up your uh, attitude. You're gonna host one of these in a couple of weeks, I think. Yes. All the stress. Well, you know, I think we need to perk you perk you up a little bit. What are you What are you doing now? What's on the phone? What's the interest on the phone? I'm trying to figure out how many points I have for this 500 point thing at the gym. Right. Okay. Um. Very very interesting. Um. Download our other shows, Yours Network. Uh, we did some reviews. We'll a review of Ford v Ferrari. We'll have another Survivor episode on there if you want to hear more in-depth stuff about that and uh, other things. And Australian Survivor Archives, great interview with uh, a yeah. very original Australian Survivor host, Lincoln Howes. A lot of fun and plenty of good stuff happening there as well. Um, we haven't really done any new episodes of 007 in a while, but you can still download it because it's good. And the Better Mouth Variety Hour, Radio Southland. It's on Wednesday night. Um, Bird of the Year was that Penguin, so... Get excited. And um, Kmart opens this week. K- <laughs> Kmart opens. We, I get a sneak peek through my work. Uh, I actually get to go there on Wednesday. I was actually talking to one of the Kmart employees. She's a manager of like basically all of women's and a little bit of children's. And I was talking to her today and I was like, oh, I really want to come in on Wednesday for the media thing. And she's basically like, oh, give me your name and number and I will pass it on to our HR people. They're no HR. Yeah, HR. They're really strict about who's allowed in and out before opening, but I can probably get you in because your fiancé is the um, thing. And then I was like, oh, I was going to maybe go in as a photographer for him. And she was like, oh, yeah, that would totally work. Yeah, like it would work. But again, as I keep saying to you, you have to take photos and I have to be able to publish those photos. I can take pictures. I don't um, know if I can take publishable pictures, but I can take pictures. I, I don't think also it could work because if I'm walking around with actual, like, Louisa wouldn't care and other people, but, like, if Southland Times people saw you, they're probably like, I'm um, who's she? So, sorry, my dear. Sorry. But what we were doing... I want to fr- go so bad. On Friday, when we go to Kmart, we will take a... We will record. Actually, you, re- you know what I realised? So, Friday, you and I both work. Then we go to the ballet. 
right? So we're not going to be able to go to after the ballet, and the ballet finishes at 10. Or before work. Yeah, but we're going to go to the gym before work. Oh. And are we really going to go there at 8.30 in the morning when it's going to yes. be packed? It's going to be packed. Getting all the draws. Win the $500 voucher. I'm going to go after 10 o'clock at night because it's going to be dead then and it will be cool and we're going to do a recording while we walk around UK, Mark. How does that okay. sound? Okay. Look forward to that next week. Uh, thanks for listening to The Brink. Uh, sorry that things went serious at one point, but hey, we can be serious sometimes because poo on a stick. Um, I just thought I'd say something funny to... I want a hippopotamus to run over grandma. She wants to get all flattened by his poo. A doo-dee-doo-dee-doo. Uh, no, right. Thanks for listening. Don't listen to us again. That was shit, literally. Um, yeah, you close it up. Like us on Facebook? No. Oh, yeah, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Cool. The other closing. <laughs> but you say that before we do the closing bit. Yeah, but no one ever pays attention to that crap. Who ever likes us on Facebook? I say that, I've said that for like 124 of these episodes, and I think we've gotten two new likes. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Keep sucking those oranges, Hober Cargill and all the other listeners, and good night. <laughs>